say your name is H, um, but I will introduce myself and then maybe uh, we can go around and introduce each other. So, ourselves. So, my name is Keegan and I've founded Canlytics. So, I've been working in the cannabis space for three or four years now. Started as a laboratory analyst, found clever ways to collect data and save people a lot of time. And you know, now I'm just trying to primarily help laboratories just do cannabis testing better, simply, easily. And I found that a lot of people have an interest in data analytics. And so my background is in economics. So in a comparative advantage of mine. So I just thought I would just share what I know and see if there's other people that are interested. And there's yeah, quite a few. So, yeah, it's always fun to talk. Um, Let's go next. <laughs> for, I guess, Paul, Paul, would you want to just, I guess, reintroduce yourself real quick? Or? Sure, yeah, my name is Paul. Um, I'm a data scientist with a, a major automotive manufacturer in, in Michigan. Um, <coughs> I'm just wrapping up a master's program in data science. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. I don't know if that's coming from somebody's speaker. Um, so I'm wrapping up this master's program in data science um, and I was looking for a project sponsor and Keegan was uh, nice enough to agree uh, to help me with uh, my graduate project. It's uh, on um, some retail analytics in the cannabis industry. Um, so yeah, and Charles has been helping as well. So uh, yeah, that's my story. Oh, can't can't hear you, Keegan. I sorry, I was on mute for the feedback. So, Ace Charles. So Charles is helping Canlytics with an interesting project right now. So we're sprinting on a laboratory information management system. A critical part of that is importing data from scientific instruments. There are a lot of these instruments are spitting out data files and the labs are collecting them in various means, often different means and for different instruments. <clears throat> and we think there's just a simple, easy way just to collect the data. That way people at the lab, like the analyst, quality assurance manager, scientific director can review the data, issue their certificates and spend more time doing science, less time doing data entry, which is something, you know, computers excel at. So Charles, would you want to pick up from there? Um, so yeah, my name is Charles and um, I have about 27 years of programming experience and I've worked in a lot of different areas and now I'm sort of transitioning into data science and machine learning. And so Charles is helping with the, the parsing and importing of the instrument data because he's a good data wrangler. So. Yeah. And then H, would, would you like to, to introduce yourself or? You can pass if you'd like, but, and we can jump in. I'll, I'll go ahead. Okay. Can, can you hear me all right? 
Yeah. Cool. I'm Heather. Um, I'm not going to say I'm an ex-scientist, but um, I haven't been in the lab since like 2014. Um, but since then, um, I have begun to use cannabis. So it's like the two worlds have now combined where I've been out of the lab, but I still have a, um, an innate interest in, um, in data science and um, in the cannabis industry. So that is why I'm here. Well, that's awesome. You could, if you want to check out the Canlytics GitHub, it's open source. And, right and so I'll put the link in the chat. Thank um, you. And your unique background in the lab space would probably be helpful because you'd be surprised there's a, the, the, the you know, the amount of people with know-how of how laboratories function and work and the workflow, it's, it's limited. There's a shortage. So there's a high demand for you know, people that understand that workflow um, and can articulate it. So, yeah, we're always happy to have you aboard. Yeah, the interest is there. I just think that there's not too much available where I live, unfortunately. So, yeah, that's the... The, con the conflict. Ooh, well, so I'm sort of visiting labs, but there's a lot of, you know, remote work that can essentially be done. So, you know, really anyone around the world who can own the repository and as a text editor and make contributions. That's a good point. Good point. So, oh. Keegan, I have a quick question for you. Yeah. Um, in the lab testing world, can any of that lab test work be done somehow remotely? I'm just curious if that, I don't know anything about it, so I'm just curious. In an ideal world. So the lab space is real interesting. So there's amazing opportunities, right? So the instruments are powerful, so, and they have a lot of capabilities. So if you had everything set up perfectly, you could operate instruments with, you know, minimal effort by the analysts. You could get the data and you could almost yeah, view the data remotely um, and potentially issue certificates remotely, even view things like chromatographs and even potentially operate the instruments themselves remotely in an ideal world. Mm. In, in reality, getting like the network set up at the laboratories is a huge challenge. So Heather can attest to this, like it's hard to have everything communicating. So like, Typically, like the microbiology department has their data stream and the things coming off of the gas chromatographies coming in the HPLC, that data streaming somewhere. And then they are, may have like a LCMSMS doing pesticides. And then that may have an entirely different data stream. Hmm. And, and it's it's 
for a variety of factors, right? You may set up your instruments in staggered time. So you may set one up in January. You may set one up in April and another one up in August. They could be different manufacturers. So you may go like with Agilent for your HPLC. And then you may have another manufacturer, another vendor for your if you're doing heavy metals, like an ICP MS. And then, you know, if you've got two different vendors, they don't have like the incentive to, you know, to, to help you aggregate your data. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of potential for, um, I guess, like, well, what you're doing, right? It, uh, like lab automation, um, bringing together everything in, in one source and an integration and then probably scaling as well if you get past those hurdles. It's interesting, okay. Well, it's, well, exactly. And so that's actually what, what Charles and I are working on really this, this, this week. So basically by next week, hopefully we'll have like a minimal use case in potentially in production. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, so, well, Got, got some coding ahead of us. Um, <laughs> but the idea is the data files are a little different instrument to instrument and maybe how the data files are output. But you can maybe kind of uh, abstract that a little bit and just kind of take that into consideration and because ultimately you're just getting the data. So really you just want to get the data from all the instruments and just, okay, this like oh, this instrument's an Agilent. So we'll just take that into consideration when we're parsing the data. Or this, this one's a Schumaz do HPLC. So we need to parse the data slightly differently. But then once the data's parsed, let's just upload it, you know, to the database, all the data relatively the same so we can kind of structure the data the same and get it in real time so from just you know deep thought about the laboratory space i think this is a particular bottleneck that you can shave off a huge amount of time on your turnaround time because it's essentially, so your instrument, you loaded up maybe 50 to 100 samples, and each sample takes 10 minutes to run. Hmm. So you could wait for 500 to 1,000 minutes, and then parse all the data, and then issue your certificates. Or if you somehow have this nice and automated, sample one gets tested, you know, you, maybe you get 10 samples tested, you can issue 10 certificates, and then everything else is still running. So it, it helps smooth out your production so it's not so lumpy, and you can prioritize things, you can... Right. Get some 
it's amazing. So like if you review sample one's results before the instruments finished running, you could potentially, you know, run and prepare a new, you know, like there's like a like a quality assurance check. So like so this will happen. So like if you're running edibles and you just get a a wild result, you typically do a quality assurance check just to, mm -hmm. you know, like a sanity check. Like, okay, like this is, you know, this is what we think it was. There wasn't, you know, an analyst that didn't, um, uh, like miss pipette or some sort of. Right. So it sounds like with the, and maybe Heather knows a little bit about this as well, but um, the, <laughs> um, so the opportunity for you to streamline and optimize um, is there, but you can't you can't scale people very well. So from a like a technical expert kind of perspective, we talked about this a little last time. But where do you think the bottlenecks are as far as like uh, having the right people in the lab um, and that being a bottleneck? Honestly, it's really just based on my experience, the finances in the lab. So all of this mentioned, HPLC, LCMS, like everything I did was manual um, up until the very last time that I, you know, left. Um, you know, I hope to go back one day, but all the column work, everything, you know, having to walk in and out of the, the any dark room, cold room, everything is running um, not with a, an automated, um, system that will even, you know, track and tell you like, oh, this is running low, you should add this or wash with this solution. There's nothing to, everything was manual. So um, my, and, and what it, I mean, ultimately I, you know, my decision to leave academia was also because you have to decide, do you want to, um, you know, to fight for grants for the rest of your life? And the thing is, that's okay if you want to do that, but I know that I didn't have what it took. So and I know the impact within the lab on the, of the finances on the um, anybody working in there. They they become um, competitive among each other within the lab, um, and yeah. that can affect um, the uh, I guess the the scientific growth of everybody working there. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's so I don't mean to like stray off the main topic, but that's just my opinion. Is it's just literally how much money does your lab have? And can they um, keep the people in there um, long enough so that they make something and create something, find something that the breakthrough something? So, so Heather hit on an interesting observation that goes to how, yeah, like, uh, well, yeah, how we really envision labs. So basically, it's like, Oh, Keegan, you know, I think so, we lost uh, you. No, I mean, I'm just thinking. So basically, you have like your your method development managers, and so you want them like doing science and research. So you want them trying to optimize your methods, figure out how things are running. But what they end up doing is, like Heather says, they have to record temperatures. They have to, you know, they have to make reagents. They have to record. IDs in their lab notebooks 
And so you end up spending, um, if things aren't like super efficient, then you end up spending a lot of time just taking measurements and doing like trivial tasks. Mm -hmm. and, and then you never have time to do any research or any science or you have limited time. Um, it really cuts into your time. So, uh, so I, I didn't, I didn't know that. So uh, I was just naively thinking that when these labs are running, they're just trying to crank through generating lab results and reports so they can get to the customer. So it's, it's more, there's actually research going on in these testing facilities. Well, essentially, yes. Yeah. So like at the cannabis industry, it's cutting edge and it's competitive. So, there's some like research articles that, so there's like some like gold standard articles and like everybody tries to kind of base their methods off of these articles. But then you kind of run into complications. You realize, oh, in, in practice, th this'll gunk up your, your it'll like gunk up your instrument. And so you have to, um, you know, take extra precautions or you have to, there's like, you know, quality assurance steps that you can take that aren't well-defined. So, no, so the standardization doesn't seem like it's because it's a new industry. There's not that kind of, I don't want to say a recipe or, or formula, but uh, it seems like it, that's all kind of being kind of discovered and developed. Exactly. And it's real, like, and it's, it's kind of uh, competitive. So people are kind of, uh, they, they like, you know, they, they've spent a lot of time and money developing their methods. So like when they're doing these things, they may break a piece in their instrument or they may spend a whole bunch of money on strange uh, compounds or reagents. So they may like try this one reagent and then they made, so basically like when you're putting things on the HPLC, you use solvents. And then when you put things on a GC, you use carrier gases and you can use different types of them. So you, you may experiment. And so you say, oh, this one gas, um, like I'm not like a GC expert, but maybe there's hydrogen or uh, nitrogen and various mixes. And then with the HPLC, I think there's like methanol and it maybe acetonitrile. And so you may experiment and you'd say, oh, maybe methanol works better, or maybe it acetonitrile works better. And I'm sorry, Keegan. I, I aren't so if uh, I guess states have different standards for their testing, right? Um, so there's no standardized across the board like these twelve things that we have a we have a a threshold, and you can't pass the threshold on these twelve measures, whatever they are. There's nothing like that. It's kind of uh, the wild west. Well, so typically you have to pass. Um, you have to like, like match like standards they uh, send. So, um, 
I'm not sure if I'm using the right terminology. Um, uh, what's the uh, word? Oh yeah, proficient like proficiency tests. Mm -hmm. So they'll basically send you a substance, and you know you have to measure the like the like the concentrations. You know within a certain bounds. So you have to be like within maybe ten percent of what they expect or something like that. So. You know, when everybody's getting their license and getting accredited, they basically have to prove that, okay, yes, we can measure pesticides. We can get the concentrations, you know, relatively close to what they're going to be because there's always a bound, like your confidence bounds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what a lot of the method development is, is just getting more accurate, more consistent, because then, well, when you're more accurate and more consistent, like the like, there's less things that are called like out of spec. So then, um, to say you like you know you run your your standard and it's not what you expect. So you see, you're expecting it to come out at I don't know eighty percent THC. This is a rough example, and your standard comes out at like set that. 60% THC. You're like, okay, something went wrong. What what went wrong? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, potentially we, we're going to have to maybe relook at all of these samples because something may have just gone wrong in the instrument. I see. So the, there, are, um, there are different standards between states, like what's, ex, you know, what you have to test for and what's acceptable. Oregon is really different than Washington, and I don't know about California or Michigan or any other states, but I know between Oregon and Washington, there's a huge difference about what's what's allowable what and what they have to test for. Okay, so that that definitely complicates things, doesn't it? And, yes. And, it, and like Charles said, with pesticides, there's a whole nother level of complication because mm -hmm. The cannabinoids, they've got it pretty well dialed in. There's like a few like, you know, tricks of the trade where people uh, can better analyze the cannabinoids than others. But generally, they can measure them fairly well. And that's all about just everybody's just trying to do it as quickly as possible. So everyone's trying to just shorten their test time. Right. So you could do it. A long one, maybe like 16 to 18 minutes. If you get a super good instrument, you can do it in like four to six. And then typically maybe somewhere in between there, if you, you know, you're just trying to push that down. The pesticides, you're testing many, some states maybe just 12, but typically 70 plus in Canada, it's in the hundreds. So like 120 or so. And then when you're doing that, there's all these complications. So maybe this one compound is just notorious for false positives. And so if you run it, your instrument one way, you'll get it a false positive. And then you're like, okay, let's run it the other way. And then it's like, oh, no, that's, that's not what we think it is. Mm -hmm. So there's, 
And this is where I'm not an expert. What you're going to say? No, I'm sorry. I said that there's a lot going on. And I, I definitely don't want to, um, you know, to totally run uh, rough shot over the over the conversation. So I was just, I was, it's really fascinating. I know there's a lot going on here, and I just didn't, I really don't know much about this area, especially you know, in the testing space. So just curious. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, we don't have to get bogged down in this, but it's, yeah, it's quite interesting and it adds a lot of good data points that are often missing. Um, because now we like, you know, we know a lot about the actual products themselves. Um, so we can kind of see, okay, well, what appeals to people? Mm -hmm. um, so this is where some, some ideas are, but there's not much research, but just kind of seeing, okay, do you know, certain people gravitate to certain, you know, breakdowns of, of these compounds of chemicals and you know, like the, the terpenes. And whatnot. Gotcha. Oh, thanks for sharing that. I, I, yeah, like I said, I didn't have much perspective on it, but now I kind of see where all the, some of the new nuance creeps in here and where the opportunity space is. Yes, because, you know, like, like I said, you know, you know, I'm in essentially the business of data wrangling and this is like, you know, Charles is going to find out quickly. Uh, this is hundreds, depending on how you want to count them, thousands of data points. And so you can't, necessarily get them all um but basically we're just trying to yeah collect as much data as we can and help yeah, help the labs essentially review the data right because if they're spending all their time entering in data then that's a lot less time that they get to spend actually reviewing it making sure things like look like they're in spec and and doing a method development yeah i could see where the lab would definitely be um could potentially be a choke point right in the whole the whole value chain because if you have trouble getting the right people in the lab um have trouble with standards you have trouble with you know calibrating your tests and all these things it definitely uh seems like there could be a lot that could be uh, improved Yes, and just from <laughs> from what I've observed, it seems that for whatever reason, it's basically like the maybe the the like the wholesalers that it's all like the wholesalers are always just trying to find retailers to you know buy their products, and it seems like okay once they've established their relationship, then it's like okay yeah, now let's you know get our products tested and sold. And so then they, so basically they show up at the lab and they're like, "Hey, will you you know test this? Like we're uh, you know ready to sell it." And then the lab's like, "Oh, you know we're backed up. Yeah, oh, it's going to take like five days plus the weekend, and our method development manager is on vacation, or you know what have you." And, wow. <laughs> and yeah. so then like, yeah, the wholesalers just calling up the lab saying like. Hey, like we're trying to trying to sell our products. Um, you know, we're 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 results. Yeah. 
And so this is. Uh, I just, Heather was nodding her head. It sounds like she's probably suffered through some of this stuff. Have you, Heather? Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, sometimes there's like a dearth of terpene terpene levels in the uh, flower in the state that I live, and it doesn't matter what the brand is. It's just a pattern that I've noticed. There are little local things like that. Hmm. It's like, why? Hmm. What's going on? Maybe I'm overthinking it. You know, it could have been that Gorilla Glue. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe. So that is could be a sign of basically people just rushing things to market. Um, yeah, you can tell. Like this is usually almost at two percent mercy. Why is it my why? Not that I wouldn't still buy it necessarily, but it's like. 0.4% or less than like, it's not, I mean, it's the same, you know, genetically the same strain, but it doesn't hit as hard. So depending on what you need it for medically or otherwise, um, that's just a, you know, something I'm mindful of. So yes, I, I'm laughing at my own pain. At that. Well, it's interesting to observe because well, we've talked about this before. The great debate is, was does THC matter? And in your case, you're going beyond that, and you're saying, you know, myrcene matters, um, which is which is interesting um, because we you'll hear a lot of different takes. So a lot of people put a lot of stock into the cannabinoids terpene data, and they'll even base their breeding strategies on that. And then other people will just, uh, you know, dismiss it and they just go by, you know, rules of thumb. Um, but they are, there's both successful players in, on, in both camps. So, Is there a, a big drive um, to quickly set up? labs to meet the demand well unlike it doesn't necessarily even have to be quickly there is just a high demand to set up labs mm. so and it takes some time um so maybe you're right so maybe there is demand to do it quickly because people always wait too long to do things so like for example with the labs you really want to get started like a year before at least before your state were to get um, cannabis permitted. So mm -hmm. like a year before, so if you like saw that, oh, I think whatever the next state is to, to permit cannabis, um, Louisiana maybe, but, um, or, or a lot of labs are setting up in Florida. I think New York's not yet online. So I bet you there's a lot of labs that are setting up right now in New York. And it's not always too late to set up a new lab in a, a state that's already going because there's a high demand for it. But it does take some time because you're gonna have to get your building, get all your instruments in there, get your team, then get like 
sort of internally validated to make sure like, yes, we can test things, then you're going to have to get like certified by the state. And then, yeah, then start ironing things out, growing your team, hiring lab analysts. And it's, yeah. and it's not it's, even considering all the financing that must be involved to try and set something like this up. It must be a lot of money. Yes. So it's, it's interesting to see people uh, pull it off um, because there's some, some, so like, there's an awesome example of somebody in Washington State, Jeff Dowdy at Capital Analytics. So he basically started as a cultivator, just a small cultivator, and then bought an HPLC, which is, you know, not cheap. Um, that could run you forty to eighty thousand dollars. That's not negligible. Um but then he just started testing cannabinoids in-house. Uh -huh. um, and then people just were like, oh, like, and so I think he's maybe started doing a lot of, you know, research and development testing. So just doing, well, essentially cannabinoids. Um, yeah, essentially cannabinoids. And then, you know, then he built up essentially, a, well, he built up a lab. So then you would get a, a GC next. So you would get a GC or a little cheaper, there may be a real cheap one, maybe like 15, but maybe 15 to 30 or 40,000. And then you can start testing terpenes. Yeah. And at the same time, you can set up your microbiology lab just to do simple testing of microbes and mycotoxins. That's still going to be expensive. But, you know, if you get a small team, you may be able to run that for 10 or 15 or 1,000. So you can start, you know, a small lab if you've got like a science, like it, take, it often takes, you know, like an entrepreneur and, you know, someone with a good science background mm -hmm. that can be the same person I've observed, but it can you know, it can be anyone, um, any team. But yeah, you can, I've seen it done where they you know, start small, just doing the basic tests and then, you know, gradually build up some clients and then they can buy the big instruments like the LCMSMS, which is going to be like 300,000. Um, and the ICP, which is 175. And then once you get instruments like that, you have to get expert. Um, it's really like you really, really need method development managers and um, several chemists and several analysts because mm -hmm. just to make sure you can get everything done. So yeah. I would honestly recommend. Well, I'm not sure what I would recommend. So you, you do see labs just starting up just with everything, just going full speed. And then, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with gradually growing your lab. Yeah. Yeah. As we were talking about before with um, some of the shortage of the technical experts, um, that's another area, right? Um, could you potentially, might, this might be a little naive, but could you t potentially 
teach somebody to do the lab tech work without necessarily having an advanced degree um, to meet that kind of demand and still be effective at what they would be doing? Well, I'm sort of living proof. So I just showed it at the laboratory and I had a degree in economics. Um, I, I principally got the job because like I said, there's a real shortage in people with, it's, it's interesting. There's, you'd think there'd be more, but there is a shortage with people with, you know, scientific degrees that are interested in doing lab work and aren't already snatched up, especially people with experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so it's tough to find people. So I had a degree in economics. So I think the lab manager thought, okay, maybe this person can end up doing statistics at some point. But it's really just, we just need somebody competent who can just read the, what's called the standard operating procedures, the SOPs. So we just need someone who can just read those mm -hmm. and just go through the steps because it's not the trickiest thing in the world and honestly I, I think lab work's real fun and but and it's yeah it's, it's yeah it's, it's fun work because you basically you've got your steps there and so you can just go through the steps and yes it does help to like know a lot about the reagents and the chemicals but you have all the steps right in front of you so it's says pretty clearly like okay you want to pipette some you know pipette you know one mill like one milliliter of methanol into this vial and then put some cannabis in there and then um you know go through you know go through these steps yeah. and so it's pretty straightforward but you know, you need, you know, you need someone preferably with a degree in science who can, you know, go through and follow the steps and just be reliable and all that. And, and for whatever reason, it's um, hard to, yeah, it's, it's hard to find lab analysts, I think. Yeah, that's no, interesting. Yeah, so I could see some you know, bright entrepreneur that that's working in a lab that could go, you know, I could boil this down to like, you're talking about some of these lab analyst type steps, like recipes or whatever, and then start training these people to meet that demand, right? That there's an opportunity there too, seems like. Oh, well, like definitely. And like, like Heather, like you may seem like you could do something like this where it's just like, you just, yeah, basically kind of give people instructions on, okay, this is how you pipette. You hold the pipette straight. You don't tilt it or you're going to get a wonky measurement. So, you know, there's just little like things like that. And then, you know, once you kind of have given your people instructions, then they're off to the races. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a, like you said, there's a, not, not even in the lab space, but everywhere, but it just, essentially just video tutorial. So if you're an expert, you would basically maybe have like a video tutorial on how you could test microbial or te test microbes in cannabis. Or this is how you ex do an extraction for pesticides. Mm -hmm. This is how you clean 
your the the filter on your HPLC, or you know this is how you. So inside the HPLC, they have what's called the column. And sometimes you have to change them and like put in a new one. And it's a really intimidating thing for, you know, someone who, you know, may not have like a background in science because it's basically like, you know, you're going to have to kind of take apart the instrument, maybe like unscrew some things. And, you know, it's a little involved, but it's one of those things where, you know, if you, you know, learn, it's real valuable. So, I think there, like you said, there's value to be added where you could just have simple video instructions on how you can go about testing and yeah. maintaining the lab. Yeah, so uh, you know, I've got a background in aviation. I've done some flying. Um, and then when I was uh, uh, in the Air Force as a missile launch officer, um, working with the, the ICBMs, um, that was all checklist driven. Um, and these checklists were extensive and flying is, is a checklist discipline uh, activity as well. You can write a checklist for just about anything. I know a lot of um, a lot of surgeons, a lot of doctors use checklists in the OR and stuff. So, I mean, it's just people rely on them heavily. Um, and it sounds like this could be one of those spaces that could rely on. Of course, you definitely, given, given the opportunity, you want somebody who can run a checklist, but they also have the context of understanding of why they're doing what they're doing because that helps, right? Um, mm -hmm. But it seems at the at the bare minimum for a lot of these lab tech um, roles, some of the some of the work could be, you know, boiled down to to checklists and for the mo more simplistic things. Ooh. Uh, Definitely, and we this actually kind of br brings us full circle. So the method development manager is spending their time doing data entry. They're not going to have very much time to train the new chemist or the right. new lab analyst. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a critical, critical part of the whole operation. You would be surprised that, you know, when things are you know, running well, the senior chemists and the method development managers, they may spend a lot of their time essentially mentoring or explaining things to the, you know, the, the like the junior chemists or the, the lab analysts. Mm -hmm. So, and even the method development managers, like everybody can learn from each other. Like the micro team can learn from the, the the gas chromatography team. So that's interesting. So thank you for sharing all this. It, I actually now have a general picture in my mind based around the instruments that you've been talking about, like the HPLC and uh, the GC. Was it LC SMS? The bio is like a bio, bio lab team for. Uh, looking at microbes and that sort yes. of thing. So just by virtue of you just talking about these different spaces, I kind of started to get a picture in my mind of the different teams or, or functional groups within a, within a lab. So that's, that's pretty cool. Exactly. And on, there are like, you know, small labs where, every, where people wear a lot of different hats. Sure. But it's sort of, you know, when you, your lab grows, these become like different departments. 
um, because they're real specialized and you like you'll you want almost like a someone with a degree in microbiology or biology in your you know testing for microbes mm-hmm. then there's different types of chemistry so so certain chemists are really good at analyzing heavy metals and then others are just really good at using like the liquid chromatography for cannabinoids and then so everyone has their own sort of expertise so yeah i i was just popped into my head but you know when you take your car into a a dealership to get worked on right you've got all these different folks that know different aspects of the car's function and they know a lot about troubleshooting and fixing issues and things like that but sometimes you just need to take it to the jiffy lube right and have a certain thing done and it's done quickly and it's done well over and over again um and it just it seems like they're i don't know my prediction of you know in the future that i imagine that somebody somewhere is going to see this opportunity and and gobble it up and and turn it into a standardized as much as you can obviously you're talking about the um the method develop manager and there's there's definitely a an art and a science to this but i i can see somebody optimizing this opportunity at some point and they're they're trying uh and i'm all aboard and so it's you know if they can do it well and just test things well and cheaply then i mean let's you know let's do that because you know right now like i said there's a ton of improvement that needs to be made so well you know we'll see uh, like i said there are definitely people trying so there are like big laboratories multi-state laboratories but i would yeah, love to see how the sausage is made i would love <laughs> to see yeah how organized their data is yeah. so yeah good stuff good conversation definitely <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm not dissing them i'm, I'm sure i think there's some phenomenal labs out there um and yeah they probably any multi-state laboratory probably has a good system to keep things organized yeah yeah but i don't want to keep i I keep asking questions i I don't want to keep uh (laughs) in the conversation so i'll i'll be quiet oh no it's well it's good to get some feedback um yeah i guess we were going to talk about like uh, sales data and things today, but we have, you know, myself and now Charles, we're, we're just going to be in the weeds with this, uh, you know, at least for the next week or so. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, we're just going to try to make our contribution here because like you said, there's, there's a whole lot that could be done. Like there's, and like, I'm not going to pretend I'm going to, like, so you like, kind of like you were talking about, with um, the, or maybe we were talking about with processors and cultivators where they can start automating this um, like assembly line style. People would love to do that in the lab space because just like, oh yeah, just put the sample here and it'll grind it up and put it on the HPLC and test it. And all you have to do is sign the certificate and send it out. <laughs> but that's the, like, like we said at the beginning, in the ideal world, 
that's how things would work and it's just just real smooth automated mm-hmm. but in practice there's a lot of moving pieces yeah yeah it, well you gave me a taste of that today there's tons yeah it, and it's like and not well standardized so there's different vendors you'll learn quickly when you talk with scientists that they all have real strong opinions about how things should be done um so <laughs> so yeah. yeah it's fun when you get a yeah a couple scientists in a room uh, <laughs> but yeah it's um yeah it's been a good conversation so yeah. I guess we've got 10 minutes left. Do you want to just look at uh, forecasts in Colorado data real quick? Or, I'd, I'd or like to just yeah. call it a day? Or It's up to you guys. So uh, I know that you mentioned last week that you might be showing something. So if, yeah, if it's not too much trouble, I'd like to see it. Oh, yeah, sure. All right, we've got 10 minutes left. So um, we can r- run through uh, run some, do some data analysis and So, Colorado, like we were saying, does a fairly good job at publishing their data. And better than I thought, unless it was updated recently. So at first I thought you just had to get monthly reports, which are useful because you have sales by county. And I sort of had mentioned this to Paul, but an interesting thing you could do here is basically run a regression of total sales in each county on the county's medium income and the population. Because I realized, Paul, that you, you want to control for population because mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, places with a high population are going to have higher sales. Right. But it would be interesting to see if, um, you know, the medium income affects, you know, total sales in each county. Mm-hmm. See, I don't think that's true, but the population. I mean, that art- the article I read about the, about the counties along the Oregon-Idaho border, they actually have a higher per capita sales than in Multnomah County, which is the Portland area. So because you have an influx of people coming from over the over the border. Mm-hmm. So you basically would need a, I would have to think about how you would interpret the results. You, you always have to think about how you interpret the results when you start tossing a lot of variables. But you can basically add a control, like a zero or one, if the county is a border county. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would maybe that, that would control for the the cross state sales, um, okay. theoretically. Um, but but just to keep this moving quickly, that is an analysis you could do. For now, we're just grabbing these totals. 
which are actually conveniently in this historical report. So I already had some Colorado data, and so I just sort of appended this on. So I really need to flesh this data out because Colorado also does these annual reports. So, or I think they're quarterly, but they, they don't publish them that frequently. But if you look at one of these, you have some amazing data points here. So you have, you know, the new businesses. I think you have the expired licenses and then the ones renewed. So this may have been where I was calculating the entries and exits from, but but long story short is I haven't actually parsed this data yet, um, or at least not in like an automated way. So there's, you know, you know, fruit here to be had, but it may be high hanging fruit. Um, but nonetheless, just wanted to show you this data because you can get some good plants here. That's cool. But we're just going to just look at the totals, total sales, just for simplicity's sake for today. And in fact, we had looked at these this data back in March or so, and I really should have done forecasts then. And I thought I was planning on it, but somehow I didn't get around to it. It doesn't look like. So now is better than never is the Python philosophy. So we're just going to do some quick forecasts of this Colorado data. Um, so we'll just kind of walk through this. Um, so just real quick to just show you what the data looks like. Okay, so as we've seen, you know, Colorado has quite impressive sales. Um, just To look at just the last handful of observations. Um, so it, you know, they're doing like in April of this year, they did like 200 million in cannabis sales in Colorado. And it's just hard to really comprehend the scale of that. And, um, I mean, it may make sense, I guess, 
based on the population in Colorado. But to me, it seems just like a staggering amount of revenue. It's um, a lot. And it seems like there's some seasonality in the sales here because you've got dips uh, in wintertime and then peaks in summertime. Is that, do you think that's due to just harvesting times or for outdoor crops or is there something I else going on? I think it's related to the economy. So mm -hmm. as we were talking about earlier, can it, so there's some studies and I'll, I'm going to add them to the repository after this, but they're just to, to back up this claim. So I'll correct myself if I'm wrong, but unless I'm wrong, I believe studies show that as your income rises on average, your cannabis consumption decreases. So there's an interesting play in cannabis sales related to sort of economic growth, really. So basically, you know, when the economy is doing well, you know, people's income increases on average. And so there's counteracting effects. So there's an income effect where people generally have more income. And when you have more income, you just buy more of everything. So you'll buy, when you have more income, you'll buy more cannabis. But then there's a substitution effect where as people have higher incomes, they quit spending, they spend a relatively lower portion of their income on cannabis and they spend it on other things. Um, I'm not sure why this is, you know, maybe, yeah, so I don't know why, but this is just what people have observed. Um, mm -hmm. So which effect dominates? It actually kind of looks like the income effect dominates where when the economy, well, uh, the pandemic was a strange time, but generally I feel that cannabis sales spike when economic growth spikes and goes down with economic growth, but they're not you know perfectly correlated by any means. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Does, does Washington state, do you know if Washington state has a lot of summary stats like this, like Colorado does? I'll need to check. Or I, I could do some dig around and check. And I just was wondering off the top of your head, if you knew. I, I mean, for some reason, I just don't think they do, but there are some services more than a few uh, like third parties that mm -hmm. do sort of aggregate the total sales. Mm -hmm. um, I, for some reason, I don't think the state does. I think they were, but under their current traceability system, I don't think they're they're doing summary statistics. Okay. Yeah, that's cool stuff. So, and then just to just wrap up real quick we can just do a quick forecast um, just with arima and so i'll get the presentation where we talked about arima uploaded but basically just using past observations to predict the future and 
you know, as you can see, you know, our forecasts really aren't that much, you know, more informative than you know, really we're just kind of continuing the trend. Mm -hmm. But it's useful because we can kind of get a rough estimate of what the year total may be. And so, you know, so now, you know, we can get an early estimate, you know, that we're looking at like 2.5 billion in cannabis sales in Colorado. Wow. And, and just to give you some perspective, in my hometown, they got a new elementary school and I think they spent 2 million on on their new elementary school. Um, you know, so you could, if you spent all of that on schools, you know, you could buy, or you, they could find, you know, 1,200 new elementary schools. Wow. So that's, well, that's total revenue. So, you know, they're not getting all of that in taxes, but they're getting a heck of a lot in taxes. They're probably getting, I think in Colorado, 25% or so in taxes. Maybe not that much, but I think in Oklahoma, they're getting 7%. So, um, so you could maybe make, you know, between maybe 80 and 300 elementary schools with the amount of tax revenue that Colorado is bringing in. So I always kind of like to kind of put things in perspective. And I thought that was an interesting way to, mm -hmm. to, to make these huge amounts of money more concrete. Yeah, it's a good uh, data storytelling uh, technique there. Exactly, because I'm not saying they're necessarily putting their money towards education, but you know, that's a, you know, that's a lot of public good that, you know, this, this was revenue that was getting cap. I mean, this was revenue that was getting captured by, in some cases, not necessarily the best actors. Um, I mean, I'm not saying everybody in the, the illegal cannabis in, in markets are bad people, but uh, you know, I'm sure there are some shady characters there. So, you know, at least now, uh, you know, the people making revenue, they have to file for a license, you know, they get, they typically get like a background check and, you know, so they're, they're at least not, not criminals. So, uh, so anywho, I personally kind of think that's a positive thing, but think of it what you will. Oh, it's good. But... We've run a little extra here. So thank you for, yeah, thank you for yeah, staying tuned and yeah, seeing that quick presentation of data. Yeah, thanks for uh, answering all those questions. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck to you and Charles in the week or so coming up with the work that you're doing. Definitely. So thanks for coming, Paul. And yeah. And, Heather and Charles. So yeah, thanks yeah, thank for listening. Yeah, it's always nice. it's always fun to share. And then 
until next week, we'll be making laboratory software. And yeah, check in next week, and we should have a lot to tell about some, uh, yeah, how things went. And hopefully, yeah, we've got some software up and running. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, awesome. guys. Take care. Bye. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye.